This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. Uh, I'm going to be joined, of course, as per usual, by my colleagues and my good friends, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Richard. Hello, Arif. And hello, all our lovely listeners. And of course, Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Hello, Arif. Hello, everybody. How's, how's it going? Okay. Thank you very much. I'm glad you didn't say, how's it hanging? But there you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have a show in three parts, as per usual today. We've got news up front, uh, a car story in the middle, and a new car review at the end of the show. Uh, it is the Mazda 3 2.0 sedan, uh, and Arif is uh, reviewing this a little bit later on the show. Uh, right, Arif, what have we got in terms of news? Uh, updates, news stories, what we got? <music> Yes, so, you know, last week we spoke a lot about the RFIDs, the smart tags, and the plus highway, and the big, big hoo-ha that happened. I I recall a little discussion, (laughs) yes. Well, we also ran a poll on our Instagram account, at BFM Cruise Control, where we asked you whether you prefer using RFIDs or smart tags. And the answers came back. 70% of people preferred to use smart tags on our highways, while 30% preferred RFIDs. And somebody actually commented saying that, actually, most of us wouldn't actually mind to use RFIDs, but there are huge problems with the detection rate and speed, which makes that person wonder what went wrong during those trial stages two, three years ago, you know, when they were Mm. testing out. Feels like what did go wrong in those trial stages? I guess Mm. there was no follow-up to any of it. Oof. Controversial. Um, the 70% as well, that's understandable. And I think a percentage of that is down to familiarity as well, right? The idea of, of changing to something that we're less fam- I don't know. That's just a guess. I'm just making that up. <laughs> but that, that's what I'd feel about it. Yeah, I feel like generally the Malaysian public wouldn't mind switching to RFIDs. but If it worked properly. If it worked properly. It's just yeah. smart techs and touch and go is just much more useful for everybody else. He's very quiet over there today, isn't he, Arif? Because for me, it's very simple. RFID shouldn't cost more than five ringgit per RFID. Uh I'm giving enough profit margin for them to make money. Number two, the testing time. Did they actually do any testing? Or they just had the equipment up there and they said, let it just run and see what happens. Because they knew they were going to roll it out whether people liked it or not. So, you know, why bother really doing proper testing? How many of them actually took their vehicles out, had RFID on it, went up and down the toll plazas to make sure the speed was right and everything was right? You don't Mm. need two to three years to test. Because two to three years, they were busy selling at 35 ringgit Mm. to make that ridiculous amount of profit. Mm. And there you have it, folks. (laughs) And that's why it was quiet. You know, there's been quite a few updates since last week about this whole hoo-ha and quite a few updates on our highways as well. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the Malaysian Competition Commission, MyCC, looked into all of this commotion over the past few weeks. They apparently had a chat with Plus Highways and Touch and Go and then suggested uh, introducing debit or credit card payments as well as e-wallet options. The e-wallet thing is, um, is I think, is a bit questionable because you're actually asking people, you know, to go to their Apple Pay or Samsung Pay and swipe up 
look at their phone, scan something at the toll booth and then drive off. Mm. I don't trust people. I don't trust myself to not look at messages while I'm doing that. I really don't want to say anything more because I've written so much about this. There's been a lot of positive comments for me, negative comments for Plus, Touch and Go and the whole RFID thing. Like we said many times before, if Singapore got it right, why can't we just follow the magic? You know what I mean? Mm. Why do you have to reinvent the wheel? That's all. Good news, Daniel, mm -hmm. because apparently they've given out some announcements as a result of this discussion, I guess, but with uh, MyCC and Plus in Touch and Go. Right. Apparently in the next month or so, Touch and Go will launch a new card with NFC, Near Field Communication Technology, which when I heard it, it's stuff I never cared to use. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently you can buy a new card where you can actually reload that physical card through the e-wallet. So it's no more reloading two different wallets. Oh, that that's smart. Finally, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that's uh, quite impressive, apparently, is the Works Ministry has said that Touch and Go for toll payments and smart tech will be phased out by 2025, but will be replaced by something similar to Singapore, which is a multi-lane free flow system, mm -hmm. which is essentially an RFID system that also scans your number plate to send you a bill from there. They've also said that debit and credit card payments will be introduced by then too. So maybe we're not so far backwards anymore but who knows maybe in the five years maybe singapore will have moved to something much better than this <laughs> <laughs> it feels horrible that we're always having to compare ourselves with our neighbors right mm. yeah and even worse because we're being compared now to indonesia who has actually gone forward with a better system yeah oh dear well done indonesia well done i'm indonesia. trying to find light here gentlemen i'll send you a torchlight with some extra batteries <laughs> <laughs> made in indonesia Yes. Oh, 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 next. Move on, move on. There was also another huge hoo-ha last week from a specific minister uh, whose name starts with Z. Uh, she said that Orang Utans attacked people unprovoked and that there were lions roaming in the mighty jungles of Malaysia. And everybody ridiculed her for those comments, obviously, especially about the lion thing. But as it turns out, there are indeed lions in Malaysia, aren't there, guys? Yes, the uh, Taiping Zoo, uh, KL Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them. Also, a brand new one that's being reintroduced in Malaysia, and they are called Peugeot. Oh, you were trying to make a funny. Yeah. I was trying okay. to make a funny, but Daniel... Yeah, no. all right. <laughs> anyway. No, no. When you go to the zoo, you see them in the car park. Peugeot has been in Malaysia for such a long time. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, so this is a brand new 2008 Peugeot. So some call it the 2008, some call it the 2008. This is a brand new crossover. Some will call it a compact SUV, but we call it a crossover. It's about the size of the Proton X50. Mm -hmm. It's got a 1.2 liter award-winning engine. I'll use the word award-winning because this engine has won awards in Europe for engine of the year three years in a row. It's a 1.2 liter engine. Yes, it sounds small. It sounds uh, very you know ineffective, but listen, 130 brake horsepower, 230 newton meters of torque if you drive mm -hmm. this car which i've done it is very very perky it is there's more than enough power there's a lot of space in this vehicle it may look small but it's long so in terms of footprint mm. it's slightly longer than the proton x50 why i keep saying the x50 because it's a direct rival the x50 is 109 this vehicle has been launched at 127,000 ringgit well, Daniel, there's the question then. 127,000 ringgit for essentially an award-winning small crossover. Yes. Attractive pricing for a really attractive-looking car? Well, everyone is comparing it right now online and saying, oh, you know, the Proton is so much cheaper. Yes, Proton is so much cheaper. But if you look at the features in this car, the build quality, and I got to say this, you know, Peugeot, seating comfort is excellent. And a tall person like Richard can actually sit in front 
and another tall person like Richard can sit at the back of him. <laughs> that's the kind of sensible legroom that's in this car. Plus, you have a very nice deep boot space. Yeah. So I think this is pretty good value. Of course, don't listen to me. Go into a showroom, take it for a test drive. Look at the new 3D i cockpit system. It's really funky. Nice infotainment system. And I got to say this, there is no other car manufacturer in Malaysia where when you put the aircon temperature, you know, you go down to 15 degrees, 16 degrees, right? Yeah. Mm. This goes to 14 and then low. That means 13, you know. Oh. <laughs> it says 14 and then the next one goes low. So LO. So low means 13. So that's really interesting. That's like Europe temperatures. Exactly. You know, so uh-huh. if climate change is coming a, a little bit fast to Malaysia, don't worry about the heat wave. The Peugeot 2008 goes cold in the cabin. <laughs> Would you spend this amount of money over a Proton for a French car? Probably, yeah. Based yeah. on its looks? It looks more stylish, doesn't it? It does look a little bit more stylish, yeah. Um, it's it's very French. Yeah, I guess I would. I, I like the look of it. I like the fact that it gets really cold. That, mm. that appeals to me. <laughs> and they've got a space for you. And they've got space for me, which I often find is, is difficult fitting into uh, locally made cars or, or locally produced cars. Uh, right. Well, I say locally produced. I mean Southeast Asian in particular. Uh, I'm a tall boy. <laughs> yes, because you, you know, know why? In UK, they never made small cars. They never made the MG Midget and the Mini Minor. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Maybe British people weren't as tall back then. British. <laughs> British people, yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's maybe, true. Maybe. They're probably all mining and things. So when you're you know, you're mining for coal and whatever, you, you tend to be quite small then though, don't you? Oh, poor thing. Sure. Coal miners. <laughs> anyway, so that's the new Peugeot 2008. It's in showrooms right now. And um, please take it for a test drive. Great success or fantastic failure? What do you think? I think Peugeot will come back very strong because this is locally made. They've already got the 3008 here at a good price, 5008. There's also rumors that the E version will come in, which is an electric version. Mm. And because Stellantis, the owner of Peugeot brand, has got an office here and a factory for regional export, I think they're going to do very well. Yeah, I don't think they'll do bad at all. That's our prediction for this car, I guess. And you heard it here <laughs> first. Um, something else uh, that we got to talk about before we head to the break is the fact that smart will return to Malaysia. Remember smart cars? You know, they had the 4.2 and the 4.4, which essentially... The little cutesy-cutesy thing. Essentially an enlarged baby trolley. This is probably one of the more bizarre pieces of news that we've received this week, despite the lion thing and the orangutan thing and the touch-and-go things. Uh, Because smart cars, you know, they're a Daimler product. Daimler, who owns Mercedes-Benz, which means Mm. smart car is the city car sibling of Mercedes-Benz. Weirdly, though, it's not going to be sold in Malaysia by Mercedes-Benz, but rather by Proton Edar. What? Yeah, crazy. Where's this come from? Actually, not so crazy, because why? Who owns smart cars now? 50% of it is owned by Geely. Who owns Proton? 50% 50% is owned by Geely, you know? <laughs> All right, don't spoil the fun. We wanted to pretend that we didn't know what was happening. <laughs> well, you guys knew that. And the thing is, everybody has been, the last one year, been saying, you know, when's the EV coming from, from Proton? When's the EV? So Proton, instead of doing a full EV, what happened is, mm. they would have said, listen, you know, you got Smart. It's coming out with a brand new lineup. They, they currently have a lineup in Europe, but this is a brand new lineup together with Geely, using Geely building and, and construction in, in China, which means cost mm-hmm. will be low. Technology will be shared. It's still got that whole Daimler design because Daimler design team are involved in the design of the car. Mm. And Proton Ada is the distribution arm of Proton in Malaysia. They also have offices in Thailand. So the, the new signing ceremony, the, the recent signing ceremony said this new entity will be distributing smart EVs in Thailand and Malaysia under Proton Ada, which means we will get EVs 
without the proton badging. It'll still be called a smart. They're not going to rebadge it. It's going to come from China. It's going to be a product of Daimler and Geely together. So you're going to get a premium Europeanish product. <laughs> okay. The only problem is the expected price. This is because there were some estimated prices coming out of UK with the incentives. It's about 190 odd thousand ringgit in Malaysia. Smart cars have always been, they've always had a premium price tag, though, yes, haven't they? Yes, even when they were here in Malaysia or even when they were in UK. Yeah. Again, this just seems to be like it's going to be the rich folk buying this yes. as opposed to the people who really should be buying it are the people who want to be saving money and helping to save the planet who generally have less money. Uh, of course. So, mm-hmm. so you're going to see the Taycan owner buying this for his girlfriend or for his child, you know? That's true. Good point. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you're going to see the Tesla owner buying this for his wife or his second wife, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, you're not going to see the average middle-class Malaysian able to enjoy EV ownership. And honestly, when you look at the smart, the design, I mean, it's nice looking, but mm. what's wrong with the Nissan Leaf? What's wrong with the Renault Zoe? They were both selling here before at 170, 180. I mean, this Leaf is still for sale, but the take-up rate is not much. Because why? The Taycan owner doesn't want a Nissan Leaf or a Renault Zoe. <laughs> you know? mm. Mm. So here's, I guess, the left field thought. Mercedes-Benz does the engineering and design, but Geely does the drivetrain, the production, the manufacturing, and the rest of the stuff. Mm. What are the odds of you know this turning into a platform that Proton can use? Oh, even if Proton were to use it, I don't think the price can come down because there's no tax on the car. Yeah, there's already no tax on EV. So based on that assumption, the price is already going to be about hundred ninety thousand unless they get a rebate. But that's because they say thirty five thousand pounds in UK. So we did the conversion. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. Even if they rebadge it and make it locally in Tanjung Malim, they still cannot get that price lower because there is no tax, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So EVs are still for people with a lot of money and the EV ownership is basically very niche. It's very designer. It's very, you know, uh, I want to be seen with it, you know? Branding and everything else. It goes against everything it's supposed to be. Yes, exactly. So I think i got to wait another five years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, we'll, let's take a short break. You are, of course, tuned into Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9. When we come back, uh, what are we talking about when we come back? Oh, yes, the Ford Capri. Mm. That's all coming up after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9. The business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm joined on the phone lines by Daniel Fernandez. Say hello, Daniel. Hello and good evening, everybody. And of course, Arif Ruiz. He's a man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Uh, we're singing for the uh, Ford Capri today. It's celebrating its 53rd birthday. Hmm. Nobody else is going to join me in a song, eh? Nobody? <laughs> and you know something? You know, the thing The thing is, you know, Richard, I, I, I saw this on, on Twitter, you know? Someone was uh-huh. saying happy birthday to the Capri. He's a Capri owner, you know? He's, he's got a few Capris. I was thinking, uh. Ford Capri, why is there no big noise coming from Ford or, you know? The, right, from the yeah. brand itself. And then I realized... They've forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, sadly. They've forgotten. It's such an iconic sports car. I mean, I don't know about you, Richard, but I used to watch the show called The Professionals. 
Yes, I remember that. And you know, Bodhi, Bodhi used to drive this car, yes. silver one, and I yeah. used to love it. You know. Yeah, yeah. This, this to me was the British version of Starsky and Hutch. It was indeed, and Arif's, I'm guessing, <laughs> is going. What on earth are these two old men talking about? Right, Arif has got no clue. Exactly. No clue. He was watching Sesame Street when we were watching this. I was. I, I know. I know Starsky and Hush. You know, there was a time where Star World was playing Starsky and Hush. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. But do continue. I'd. I'd love to. You know, learn about the old days, the golden years. Oh. Okay. okay. Oh. So the Ford Capri came along when a time when you know the British motoring industry was at its peak. There were like you know dozens of British car brands, and Ford was you know they had Ford of England and Ford of Germany. So Ford of England said the Capri will be a car based on the Cortina chassis. Let's mm-hmm. give it some pep. You know, let's give it give it a sporty feel. And they did that. They, you know, they, of course there was a one point three, the basic, you know, the the the, the grandmother car. You know. <laughs> Mm. You know, but of course there was a two point eight, and there was a three liter. Then you know they had so many other variants. It went rallying. It went motorsport. I think it went up to a three point two at one point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, three point two. Yes, yes, yes. Then they had the RS version. I mean, there are so many versions of this car. And I remember as a young boy seeing it in Malaysia, and you see a Capri, you go like, wow. It's like you know, like like today when you see a Skyline, you go wow. The same thing when you see yeah. a Capri those days. Mm-hmm. But where are the Capris today? You know, not so long ago, I'm being uh, around Banda Atama right. and somewhere around there, I remember dri- driving past, being driven past by my taxi driver and looking across and I saw an old bunch of Ford Capris just parked at the side of the road, just gathering rust. Really? Yeah. That was a few years ago, though. I, I had no idea you were going to say a gathering rust. I thought, you know, they were going for a drive or something. Oh, <laughs> that's quite sad. But that's the thing. A lot of these Capris have ended up as a rust bucket. I mean, there's still some being driven by owners. Some have been restored. The problem is, until recently, their values were not shooting up, like like the Escort and the Cortinas. Mm. But now, because the, the, the values are shooting up, people are taking the trouble to restore them. But it's not easy to get parts. And if the car is rusted in too much, you can't do much, you know? Mm. At the time when, when Ford came out with this car, who were his competitors? Not the Japanese guys. It was the Renault Fugo, it was the Opel Manta, and of course, the Porsche 924. Yeah, because back then, the Japanese cars weren't looked at as they are now. Exactly. You know, back then, it was like British is best kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-mm. And the Capri was, you know, long slender nose, nice rear rump. I mean, it, it was a good looking car. Even till today, I think... If someone I thought you were describing me then. Oh, you <laughs> dirty man, you. <laughs> but anyway, if you go to DSF and you look at the pictures, I mean, it's a handsome car. It's a handsome, yeah, it's yeah. A handsome yeah. British car like Richard Bradbury. British muscle, they used to call it, right? Yes, yes, yes. Same with the Jensen in- interceptors. Correct, yeah. Correct, correct. My, my dad had one. Uh, in fact, he had two. He had a, a yellow one originally, and then uh, we went away on holiday, came back, somebody had smashed into that, and he replaced it immediately with a, a secondhand orange one. I think came in the weirdest of colors i remember do remember that but i love that car that when i think of like my early childhood the ford capri is where it's at and it it was it was never a new ford capri it was always dad fiddling with it with his head underneath the bonnet and covered in oil and grease and one thing or another i think it it was one of those cars that men like to get their hands on and play around with exactly just like the old ford bdas and the mexico and the cortina same Mm. same, same. anyway so it's 53 years old uh you know it's it's uh, i'm older than it so you know I don't know about you guys, but you know, I, I think someday this car should be worth at least close to hundred over thousand ringgit fully restored. Wow. It should get to that level because I think it's it's been forgotten and it should be yeah. revived. 
I've been watching a bit of uh, Harry's Garage. Harry Metcalf. I mention him on the show some, uh, sometimes. He uh, is a car collector, world-renowned auto journalist. And I believe he was pointing out that some of these Capris are really getting expensive in like the, you know, the British car auctions, the classic car auctions. Wouldn't be surprised, especially if you see one in good condition. It's like people are starting I mean, to pay attention to it. For it to be in good condition, I'd imagine that somebody would <laughs> literally have to bought it back in, in 1969 or 1970, parked it in a garage, and never moved it. You yeah, know? because of the rust, yes. Because of the rust. And they did rust a lot, especially along the floor runners and, and the boards under there. They, there's an awful lot of rust. But it's I like that. all the old British cars, because they never did anti-rust. Yeah. The, the technology was not there, just like the old Alphas and the old Renaults and the old Opels. They're all the same. Did you guys manage to drive one? I've not driven a Capri. I've sat in one and, you know, it just groaned a lot because... It, you know, the body was tired, you know, but it was still a lot of fun. You know, it groaned a lot, but it was still a lot of fun. Yeah. Never got to drive one, Eric, because I, I, at that point, my feet were nowhere near the pedals. Mm. Oh. oh, you're a lot younger than I thought. No, I'm, kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I, I do have one piece of trivia that I think is 90% true because I may have mixed up the car. But, um, uh-huh. you know, Daniel, it, it says in your article that the Capri was successful touring car back in, you know, the late 70s. Yes. And it's a very popular trivia amongst a certain brand that uh, they couldn't beat this specific Ford. I think it was a Cortina or a Capri back in those days that they decided to poach all of those engineers and uh, start a new company called BMW Motorsport. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure about that, that total fact, but you know, you might be true. It might be true. I mean, if it's online, it might be true. That's when they came out with the, uh, the M535Is and, mm. the, and the M1 as well. Apparently, those were all former Ford racing engineers. But you know, Ford had, in its day, Zach Speed, you know, and all, they were top of the game, you know, everybody wanted to be like them. Yeah. See, this is when you need some of that music, Arif, in the background. It's like. Ah, the Ford Capri that takes me back. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, folks, uh, stay with us then. When we come back, uh, we have Arif, who will be waxing lyrical about uh, the Mazda 3 2.0 sedan Highline. That's all coming up after the break here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9, the business station. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. We're into our third and final part here on Cruise Control, and it is, of course, a new car review. The Mazda 3 2-litre sedan Highline. Arif, this is all your baby today, right? Yes, I've listened to you guys for the better part of 11, 12 minutes just now, waxing lyrical about an old car that I don't quite understand. Now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to start I want to start off uh, by talking about some technology because these days we cover a lot of cars. We're bombarded with a lot of new exciting technologies in and around new cars. Self-driving electric cars, connected apps, IoT, 5G, augmented reality, all of those fancy stuff. I mean, car manufacturers literally sold us concept cars with lounge seating with plants and basically half a steering wheel. Mm. And then there's the visual stuff. A couple of weeks ago, BMW launched color-changing paint. They've got weird and wonderful shapes in cars now and LEDs on wheels and brake calipers because the technology is there. Why not? Mm-hmm. 
Then there's the marketing and the luxury. And I'm sure you guys have read quite a lot of press releases in the past few years. I've lumped them into one description because it is heavily intertwined in any modern premium car manufacturer's ethos. It's all about the softest leather from the freest cows on the most English fields <laughs> with the highest levels of engineering from the most heritage German factory, you know. And I'm not saying that all of these things are bad things, but with everyone vying for market share in what is essentially a new era of cars, electric cars, self-driving cars, I mean, I heard Daniel say this a few weeks ago on the show. It's all getting a bit too much. We're all getting carried away. It's just like that Jurassic Park quote, your scientists, or rather our engineers, were so preoccupied about whether they could and they didn't stop to think about whether they should. Sorry, sorry, I have to, I have to interrupt. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I think, I think there's a mistake. Someone said there's a test drive review somewhere here. <laughs> it's an introduction. You know? Oh, introduction. Gotta... <laughs> okay, okay, carry on, carry on, carry on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, you know, I, I asked myself uh, back over the Christmas break, where are the nice and completely whelming cars? Cars that are reasonably priced, worth every penny, pleasant to be in. Cars that are, you know, completely wrapped up in its own marketing mess. Well, there's one answer, which is Mazda, the car brand that makes sensible and very, very nice cars. They are, as they put it, interested in the relationship and connection between the driver and car, and they want to engineer the soul. You know, they want to make you feel the car, as mm -hmm. weirdly marketing as that sounds. But uh, Mazda's, you know, they're a different car company. While everybody's putting their eggs into the EV basket, shutting down R&D into combustion engines and all of that, Mazda just announced a new six-cylinder engine on a real-wheel drive platform for the new Mazda 6 and filed fresh patents for a rotary engine hybrid Mazda. In the grand scheme of the automotive industry, it is refreshing. They're making small, measured, and progressive steps and not quite the giant leap for all mankind that technology and Hyundai tells us we need at the moment. Mm -hmm. So over the years... Um, you know, there's been so much positivity about this approach that they have in terms of build quality, design, and how premium it feels to be in a Mazda. They never, however, talk about being a premium car maker, but have instead in the past few years spoken of something called Mazda Premium. And I've always liked Mazda. I did have an idea about what they were all about and what Mazda Premium was about, though much less of a real world understanding of it. So here's where the car part comes in, Daniel. Okay, okay, okay I'm waiting. <laughs> you know, I haven't driven a Mazda in a while, and I wanted to go drive a Mazda just to feel what it was like. And I decided to pick the Mazda 3 because I was so fond of it all those years ago when it was launched and completely forgot about. And apparently, so have Malaysian consumers. You don't see any of these cars on the road, do you, Daniel? No. They're just not around. You, you do, but they're not as common as, say, you know, Hondas or Toyotas. Yeah, mm. exactly. So I wanted to figure out, you know, what's that all about? I rang up Mazda, asked them very nicely for a test drive in a 2-liter Mazda 3 hatchback, Highline Plus. Oh, fancy. You went all out, didn't you? You know, attainable dream car in my books. I'm currently, apparently, a car journalist, and I get to test drive some cars sometimes. Uh, <laughs> at <laughs> at 155,000 ringgit, that's the most, or 2,500 ringgit a month, that's the most expensive version of the Mazda 3 in Malaysia. We'll have sole red paint, black 18-inch wheels, and no box left untaken in the equipment list. You even get a sunroof for that car. But when it was time to pick it up, the car pretty much resembled my 3 Series. Mm-mm which kind of looks a little bit crummy right now. It was pretty much the same size. It has four doors. It was a sedan. It was silver, 17-inch wheels. And of course, it has the number three on it as well. And then I thought, you know, huh, me in another life. Imagine if I joined that consulting firm five years ago instead of 
this, I guess. Well, well yeah. <laughs> but um, this was instead the Mazda 3 Sedan Highline. This is the mid-spec version, but it's still a very nice car. Mm -hmm. Despite being two years old, I think it's a really, really good-looking car. It's definitely very, very neat. I think it works well on today's road. Don't you guys think so? I think it looks very, very European. It doesn't look Japanese to me. The lines are very clean. And I think even 10 years from now, this car will not age. It wears, the, I guess, the second generation of the company's Kodo design language that they love to promote so much. It's sharper, it's a bit more distinctive, has a bit more chrome on the car as well. Um, as Daniel said, it's a bit discreet, but it's, you know, it's very, very sophisticated. And the design will last a long time. It's like it's got cufflinks on, you know. Yeah, the designs are the kind of half hidden, but not. Yeah, exactly. And um, despite this model specifically in the pictures, you might see it. It does look like an uncle's car because it has 17-inch wheels and thick, fat tires with a big, huge wheel gap. Despite that, it still looks really, really good. Now, when you step inside, the interior, I think, is where a lot of Mazda premium, as they say, is on display. The theme of free-flowing lines and stunning simplicity on the outside extends on the inside. Even though the car is black leather on black trims with some sort of chrome accents, I don't think it's a boring or dull place to be in. There is a little sunroof that you can let some light in, but it's not very effective at being a sunroof, to be honest. <laughs> There's, uh, I think there is enough space for five Malaysian adults or four Richards in there with ample <laughs> legroom and headroom in the back. You do sit higher in the back than the front, so you don't feel tucked away in the back of the car like some cars in this segment do. I noticed, you know, in the back of the old Civic, if you're being driven, you can hardly hear the person at the front talking. In this mm -hmm. car, not so much. You can easily have a conversation about where to eat while you're on the move. I guess in terms of shape, it's a very round interior as opposed to the square Corolla Altis and the long Civic. So it's still very practical. Now, from the driver's seat is really where this thing shines. It's where the Mazda premium tag belongs. It's not highly detailed with triple French seams and sustainable beef, but this is what you would call finely manicured. You know, Mazda premium. So in places where you don't normally touch, like the bottom of the door cards below the dash, Mazda uses plastic of reasonable quality, but in places where you do normally touch, like the armrest, the console, the dashboard, you do get a super soft plush leather material that's so plush that when you press into it, it leaves a soft indent, kind of like a Rolls Royce. It does a good impression of a Rolls Royce interior, I guess. Um, then there's the driving position and how the interior feels around you. You sit snug, square, cocooned, everything's around you. There's so much adjustment in the wheel and the seats that anyone can find comfort in there. All the controls are within reach. They leave this little nice clickety-clack sound on it, light in operation. The armrest, center console, everything's just well thought out. They definitely had many discussions about the positioning of all of the buttons and switches and where your arms are positioned inside the interior. The technology in general, if you look at a Mazda interior, it's not loud and proud like a lot of the other brands, not even Honda with the new Civic RS, you know, Honda's new Civic, the screen is very much on display. You have a digital screen right in front of you. Mm. But as I've said many times to a lot of people who aren't particularly interested in having a life surrounded by screens, the only car you can pretty much buy these days that isn't dominated by technology, I think, is a, is a Mazda interior. Have anything to add about that, Daniel? Uh, sorry, I was just replying an email from Rolls-Royce. They heard the show <laughs> and they said, how can your boss on radio compare... A Rolls-Royce to a Mazda. <laughs> so I just replied to them, sorry, he's young. 
<laughs> they've never given me a car to take a test drive uh, on okay, unlike okay, you uh, you know let me just so. add that in okay let me just take it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true you go into a mazda you touch you know the the soft bits it feels really really plush mm. but anyway going back to the, uh, the you know the fact that technology is not at the forefront of a mazda interior the instru- the instrument cluster is still largely analog you can still flip through the digital speedo in the middle but the best part about this interior, I think, is the infotainment screen because it's tiny compared to a lot of other cars, as I mentioned. But it is superbly crisp, it's very smooth in operation, and there's no touchscreen in here. So the screen is far away from you, tucked in the fold of the dashboard, but slightly angled towards you. And it sounds like a downside, doesn't it? Mm. Like you don't get to play with the screen or poke at it. You only have to use this little dial thing that Mazda forces you to use. But when I was driving on the road, the, the, the screen and the navigation is right in the corner of your eyes. It's in the peripherals. So it's almost like playing a video game where the heads up display or the, the information is all in the bottom left of your eye. It's amazing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So you never have to avert your eyes to get a sense of where you need to go. Um, it also has amazing connectivity to Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which means running around in this car is fantastic. Again, it's all of these little details that makes this interior seem so well thought out and carry that little bit of finesse about it compared to maybe a Toyota Altis or a Honda Civic, even the new one. These are things that premium car makers would have thought about when they approach a new car design. Now, I think the fun part, the driving. Um, I had a Japanese car, so I wanted to take it to uh, apparently what is the first ever tropical garden outside of Japan. It's in Bukit Tinggi, Pajaya Hills, oh, okay. next to some weird French-looking town called Colma Tropicali. Right. Um, it's quite an interesting place to see, and I guess it's, uh, you know, just to make this a travel show slightly, it's kind of like beautifully designed by Japanese people and Japanese architects and craftsmen and everything. But, you know, as the old saying goes, it's still being maintained by Malaysians. Mm. But uh, I, going back to the engine... I'm not allowed to say anything, am I? <laughs> I, have, I have the 2-liter in this car. A lot of our listeners ask, why did you take the 2-liter and not the 1.5? And to me, I think I'm not interested in the 1.5-liter engine uh, for anything larger than a Mazda 3. That engine's very punchy, but I'm sure if Daniel asked it to go out gunting with his family or to go on a long holiday, you know, it's going to struggle a little bit. It's stress out. This 2-liter instead is basically the same engine as the Mazda MX-5. Uh, it's very sorky going up the gears, very happy to keep revving away. And it's, to me, the perfect match with the ride and handling and the character of the Mazda 3. With this engine, the 2-liter, the Zoom Zoom definitely lives on. A more mature kind of Zoom Zoom, the kind where you're, you've got a winding road, but you can't risk spilling the cup of coffee as you go around the corners. So you have to be a little bit careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but up those roads car feels really nimble and light. It edges you on like a little bit of good competitive spirit. In normal driving, however, it feels very tight down to the road. Smooth, jolt-free. I've had people of different ages inside the car and they all do enjoy the ride. They compared it to a lot of premium manufacturers, a Volvo S60. It's a bit on the firm side compared to the pillowy ride of a Toyota, but it does have that premium ride quality where when you're on the move, it feels more secure and poised. Mm. If you are always on the move, uh, if you do a lot of miles on the highways, if you have a sales job, if you, have, if you go on lots of site visits outside of Malaysia, client servicing, accounting for you know, clients all around the country, the two-liter would do you really, really well. But if you are somebody who stays in Klang Valley a lot, the 1.5 is probably enough for you. You know, I've said a lot about the good things about this car, but there are some downsides uh, that a lot of people have pointed out. Number one is the road noise, which is pretty apparent for how plush this car is. 
Uh, speaking of road noise, sound deadening, I think, can be done better. If you tap the back of the boot of the car, there's that tinny sound. But uh, some people don't really care about those things. So let's just call that Mazda Premium. The seats is another contentious issue. Both my parents said the bolsters were too aggressive and it's not soft enough. But they are about as old as a Capri. So, <laughs> and the final thing is the i-stop function. It is the single most annoying thing for Mazda owners. Basically an auto-stop-stop function. And it's never calibrated properly in Malaysia. This time, in this new Mazda 3, I had zero problems with the i-stop because, well, it never worked. Oh. Didn't, maybe I didn't use it properly or anything, but it never once turned on or turned off. It was just never there. So, yeah. All in all, just reviews, as usual, waffling. But, <laughs> but I was very excited to present to you this car because I think it is, you know, it is a very, very good car. It's good on gas. It's lovely to drive. And to me... It paints a picture of an honest car, you know, something that represents that if you own it, it represents stability and humility and planned excitement where, you know, every single part of your life is planned. Mm -hmm. It's perfect as a retired couple's only car. And I guess for people around about my age who's looking for something that can wow people slightly is relatively easy and cheap to run it. I want to stress this offers the same levels of joy behind the wheel as cars that's twice as powerful and twice as expensive. That's what I think the Mazda 3 is. I think there, you know, just going back to the main point, which was we don't see a lot of these cars. And I think that's the dilemma with it. I've explained like, you know, this car is so good in certain ways. You've got this Mazda premium stuff and all of that. It seems like it's... It's underappreciated. Underappreciated. And I guess the things it's really good at is things that generally people don't care about. Mm. You know? And that's a shame. Mm -hmm. And I urge you, I think if you are looking at the new Honda and think it's a bit too racy for you and you don't want to join the Honda fan club, you know, have a look at one of these. Enjoy a bit of life. <laughs> so there you have it. That's your tagline. Have a look at one of these. Enjoy a bit of life. Mm. Yeah. What you're trying to say is this car costs 150,000 ringgit and it's... You, you shouldn't compare it with another Japanese or Korean car. You should compare it to, say, a BMW 218, a base BMW 218, which costs mm, almost yeah. 60,000 ringgit more. So enjoy a bit of life because why? You, you buy this car for 150,000, you save yourself 60,000 ringgit in monthly installments over the next mm. seven years, which means you can you can go out, eat better food, you know, do a bit, of, bit better shopping, buy yourself some better shoes, yeah. you know, enjoy little things in life, which you've put into a car which will depreciate even more after five years, mm. you know? I mean, that's my entire 20-minute review con condensed into 20 seconds, yep. essentially. <laughs> Wonderful. Great review, Arif. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, folks, um, we we've come to the end of the show, unfortunately. But if you did miss any part of this show, of course, you can download the podcast and have a listen back uh, at your leisure whenever you want to, wherever you get it from. We recommend you use the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We started off with some news about RFIDs, some smart tags, how Peugeot are reintroducing themselves, and the return of the smart car. We then had a birthday celebration with the Ford Capri on their 53rd birthday. And then, of course, the new car review just then was the Mazda 3 2-litre sedan highlight, of course. Do join us next week uh, for more car news here on Cruise Control. My name is Rich Bradbury. On behalf of Harry Frews and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my, this has been Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.